You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We turn to two places in God's Word this afternoon. We'll read first from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 1 to 24 and 38 to 42. And for a bit of context, we're just going to look at one verse in chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him, that is Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And then on the way to Jerusalem, at verse chapter 10, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on this road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom and for that town. Woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No. You will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me, but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Father is except the, no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And in verse 38, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. 
but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you were worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will be not, be, not be taken away from her. Now we turn to the letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 7, and we'll read the verses 25 to 35. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this present, for this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. The text for this afternoon's sermon is from Luke 10, Verse 42a, where Jesus says as part of his response to Martha, but only one thing is needed. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, life we find is busy. There's always so much to do, be it at home, in a school, in a communion of saints, attending meetings, at daily work, and the list goes on. This busyness brings its own level of anxiety and frustration, and we find we just can't get it all done. Then we read the portion of Scripture about Martha and Mary. And we conclude that maybe we need to spend more time with Bible study because that, after all, is so very important. But even as we come to that conclusion, something inside us reminds that that just isn't going to work because things still have to get done. And those things not as important as Bible study are still so important and pressing. So we find ourselves caught between a rock and a hard place. What ought we to do and what ought we to leave in the busyness of life? The question brings its own anxiety and stress and feelings of guilt. Luke wrote a gospel for the benefit of a certain Theophilus, a man as we are, busy also with the cares of life. He read the account of Martha and Mary and Jesus' words in that context and was to conclude that one thing was needful, and it's what Mary had chosen over Martha, listening over hosting. But how, we wonder, could that message help Theophilus or us? The sermon can be summarized with this theme. One thing is needful, 
tuned in to where God is at. And we'll look at three points. First, the riddle of Jesus' answer. The timing of Jesus' answer. And finally, the lesson of Jesus' answer. The riddle of Jesus' answer. We can, brothers and sisters, imagine the scene before our eyes. Martha, all in a flap, stands with her hands on her hips in front of Jesus and vents her frustrations. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work myself? Tell her to come and help me in the kitchen. To be honest, we find her demand quite reasonable. Jesus, with an unknown number of his disciples, has shown up at her door one afternoon, and Martha had graciously welcomed the group into her home. After the initial chatter that came with welcoming guests and making sure they were comfortably seated in the living room, Martha had retreated into the kitchen to provide the things a good host is expected to provide. Depending on the hour of the day in which Jesus arrived, that could include Israel's equivalent to a cup of tea or coffee, preparations for supper, organizing bedding for the guests, thinking ahead about tomorrow's breakfast, and perhaps packing a lunch basket for tomorrow's travels. All in all, there's a lot on Martha's plate. And cutting corners just won't do. Even for unannounced company, we know that Christian hospitality would have us do our best. We much understand, then, that Martha would work up a sweat in the kitchen trying to get it all together. It turns out that Martha has a sister, Mary. It seems to us reasonable and right that Mary would offer some help in the kitchen. That, too, we understand is simply the right thing to do. You're not sisters for nothing, especially if you live together, as seems to have been the case here. But Mary didn't volunteer to help Sister Martha with getting tea together or supper or bedding. Mary sat in the living room with the men, listening to their conversation. Somehow we can quite well understand that this turn of events got under Martha's skin and irritated her to no end. We might just say the same. Lord, don't you care that my sister left me alone in the kitchen to serve? Tell her to get up and help me. How, brothers and sisters, ought Jesus to reply? What's a fitting answer? Stop for a moment and think this one through. If Martha in the kitchen was so frustrated with Mary's failure to help her, why did Martha not slip quietly into the door of the living room to get Mary's attention and signal her to come and help? Or failing that, why did she not quietly call out Mary's name? Why avoid talking to Mary, come physically into the living room in front of Jesus, interrupt Jesus' conversation and ask him, guest though he was, to tell her sister what to do? Isn't this most embarrassing for Mary? Doesn't it show us a Martha who's out of control? On top of that, why does Martha confront Jesus with wrongdoing? For she asks Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work myself? Is making sure the hostess's sister does her doing, is making sure the hostess's sister does her domestic duties actually the guest's responsibility? The more we think about it, the more it seems to us that Martha is making a fool of herself and making things very awkward for for Mary and Jesus in the process. Hence the question again, how ought Jesus to respond? What's a fitting answer? Jesus' reply, with tenderness he speaks her name twice. Martha, Martha, and then continues, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. He adds, Mary has chosen what is better. 
And we conclude, Jesus says that sitting in the living room, listening to Jesus is more important than slaving in the kitchen to look after your guests. But that just doesn't sound real to us. Try it the next time you have company over for supper and see how that goes. How then shall we solve this riddle? That brings us to our second point. The timing of Jesus' answer. What was Jesus talking about in that living room? That is, into what conversation did Martha interject with her frustrated question, Lord, don't you care? I remind you that Jesus is en route from Galilee and northern Israel to Jerusalem in the south. Yet Jerusalem is not his final destination, but his ascension into heaven is. Meanwhile, his time in Jerusalem will be characterized by suffering and rejection. And then he'll be killed on the third day, killed and on the third day arise. This is Jesus' God-given program. He is to crush the head of the serpent, but in the process his own heel will be bruised. Even so, he'll be victorious, and so his ascension to the throne at God's right hand is certain. After Jerusalem, he'll be crowned king of kings. Since that's the program that God has given to his son, the son set about on his way to Jerusalem to announce what was happening. And that's how Luke chapter 10 begins. The Lord, and the term here means he's the master, appointed 72, 72 others besides his 12 disciples and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. As they traveled, these 72, says verse 7, they were to eat and drink what was given to them. Moreover, they were to heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Who is the king of that kingdom? The king of the kingdom of God was, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, now on his way to Jerusalem, to the cross, and then to heaven, to the throne at God's right hand. To their great delight, the 72 tasted the power of this kingdom of God right away. Look at verse 17. They returned with joy, reporting that even the demons submit to us in your name. Wow, exciting. In a world of evil, with so many fruits of the fallen to sin, this was obviously glorious news. This was encouraging. But Jesus, brothers and sisters, is more tuned into reality than were the 72. For he tells them, verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Why did Satan fall like lightning from heaven to earth? That's because his kingdom on earth is under attack, and Satan won't take that lightly. So he's come to earth to engage the battle. And the battle will be intense. So intense that there's comfort for the disciples in the fact that their names are written in heaven. Verse 20, Satan shall not be able to pluck them from the Father's hand. Why is this material important? It's important, congregation, because the anecdote concerning Martha and Mary happened, says verse 38, while Jesus and his disciples were on their way. Where to? To Jerusalem. It happened while Satan had come down to earth to direct his battle. Moreover, Martha and Mary knew that Jesus was on the route to Jerusalem and knew about the coming of the kingdom of God. I say that because Luke recorded in chapter 10.1, that the 72 were sent to every town and place where Jesus was about to go. And that, by definition, includes Martha's village. The man who appeared at Martha's door was not a stranger to Martha and her sister Mary, but at a minimum had already been introduced by 
a pair of the 72 Jesus had sent out earlier. Martha and Mary knew that their guest claimed to inaugurate the kingdom of God. That's why Martha addresses him as Lord, and why Mary is described as sitting at the Lord's feet. That makes it clear then, too, what Jesus was talking about, what Mary so badly wanted to hear. If the 72 had to go to the towns to heal the sick and declare that the kingdom of God was coming, Jesus was surely not talking about how pretty Martha's marigolds were. Count on it that Jesus himself had to answer questions on precisely the subject the 72 had been sent to proclaim, and would have used the opportunity to expand on what the coming of this kingdom meant. And it's while Jesus is talking about these things that Martha steps into the living room with her demand to have Jesus tell Mary to get to work. We realize then, that timing determines the flavor of Jesus' reply. He speaks here as Lord, as King. He's on his way to the throne, and while on his way, he's spending the night in this village. He's on his way to the throne, and while his, on his way, he's very aware that his enemy, the devil, has come to him in cunning rage. He's on his way to the throne, and time is pressing. The enemy will not let it be otherwise. He's on his way to the throne, and shall he now get caught up in a domestic dispute? Must he stand between the sisters and sort out what they don't seem to be able to sort out between them? Must he, given where things are now at in this moment of history, actually show them what's important? But what's important when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to heaven, what's important when the kingdom of God is near and when Satan has come like a bolt of lightning out of heaven is obviously not how elaborate tonight's dinner is going to be. You see, that's why Jesus reprimands Martha as he does. Martha acknowledges Jesus as king, as Lord, and that's why she comes to him with the request that he please tell Mary what good kingdom manners are. Help with the serving, get to work. But Jesus puts her in her place. Martha, Martha, he says, you are worried and upset about many things, or you're anxious and stressed about many things, be it coffee, supper, sleeping arrangements, breakfast, and so on. But Martha, in the current circumstances, and you know what they are, only one thing is needed. What is that one thing? It's being tuned into the present reality. And as a consequence, recognizing that listening to Jesus' instruction is more important than cooking up a roast. The listening to Jesus is, of course, what Mary was doing. And that's why Jesus can say, in the closing words of this story, that what Mary chose to do will not be taken away from her. We come to the last point, the lesson of Jesus' answer. We don't live in the days of Jesus' travels from Galilee to Jerusalem. In fact, Jesus has long ago completed his travels, including his suffering in Jerusalem, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension into heaven to the throne over God's kingdom. He's today firmly in control of his kingdom, so much so that the entire world is his kingdom. The Satan who fell like lightning from heaven in Luke 10 to direct his battle on earth has long ago been defeated. And, says the Lord in Revelation 20, has even been bound for a thousand years. And that period includes the entirety of the New Testament dispensation, including today. We then don't live in the urgency of Luke 10. And that would conclude us to, lead us to conclude that things are back to normal. 
that it's okay for us to get back into the kitchen and focus on entertaining our guests well. Yet that, brothers and sisters, would not do justice to Jesus' answer. The urgency of our moment is indeed different than the urgency of Martha's moment in Luke 10. But that doesn't mean that our moment has no urgency. Satan may be bound, but he's not without clout and danger in our world. The same book of Revelation that describes Satan as bound describes him as furious and gone off to make war against the people of God. Moreover, it's true that Christ has received the throne of this of the world, but in this world there are still so many people who refuse to acknowledge him as king. Since they don't acknowledge Christ as king, they live for this life with its pleasures and fulfillment. And that puts its own pressure on the people of God in turn to do the same. Because of the temptation from the devil, the world and our flesh, there's so much that can readily distract us from the one thing that's needful, that can pull our eye away from the urgency of today's moment. That's why it's important to notice how the Apostle Paul worked in 1 Corinthians 7 with the lesson of Jesus' answer in Luke 10. Paul has to address the question of whether fathers should let their daughters get married. Paul knows of no specific word from the Lord Jesus Christ on this topic, and so has to work with other aspects of the Lord's revelation. Then Paul says in verse 26, because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. If married, stay married. If unmarried, stay unmarried. Because of the present crisis. What's that a reference to? Paul expands in verse 29. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. Why? For this world in its present form is passing away. His point? This world won't last. In fact, the end can be here at any moment. So get your priorities right. Marriage isn't everything. In fact, there won't be any marriage in the New Jerusalem. Roast dinner for your guests isn't everything. Paul sums it up with the words of verse 35. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Undivided devotion. That is what Mary displayed as she sat at the feet of the teacher as he traveled from Galilee to the cross and to his throne. Undivided devotion. That allows for no distraction, no anxiety and stress about the demands of hospitality. Martha, meanwhile, was distracted by the preparations that had to be made. Hers was not an undivided devotion to the Lord. They reflected where things were at in the Lord's world. Here, then, is the lesson of Jesus' answer to Martha. The one thing that is needed is undivided devotion to the Lord. And such undivided devotion is to be tuned in to where things are actually at in the Lord's plan of salvation. The Christians of Corinth were not living in the days before Jesus went to the cross, and so did not share the tension and suspense that belongs in Luke 10, when Satan had come down to champion his claim against Jesus of Nazareth and would use anything to distract attention away from Jesus' words about the coming of the kingdom. The Christians of Corinth lived in the days before Christ's return on the clouds of heaven to destroy sin and Satan completely, and that brought its own urgency, its own priorities. And, says Paul, ensuring that your daughters get married off important as that may be, is not one of those priorities. Priority is always the Lord himself. And everything else has its place under that priority. Organizing coffee, preparing supper, 
Being a good host has its place, undoubtedly, but not as ends in themselves. All such good activities have their place only as subsets to an undivided devotion to the Lord. What then is the lesson for us? We live in the shadow of Christ's second return even more strongly than did the brothers and sisters of Corinth when Paul wrote them his letter. In other times, in other words, the time today is shorter than it was then. And that puts urgency and suspense and tension into the air today. Christ will come again at any moment, and Satan knows that full well. So the devil does his best to distract us, to get us caught up with the stresses and strains that our social expectations place on us, to have us think that we need to keep up with the Joneses. In the process, the things that have to be done on grounds that Christ is coming any moment get pushed to the back burner. And here I'm thinking of things like ensuring that the children are ready to meet the Lord, that the word of God, that the word of redemption goes out powerfully through us into this world, and so on. One thing is needed, says Jesus, and that's undivided devotion to the Lord, to where things are at in his program. Being conscious of what Jesus Christ is doing today determines what the Christian will do, determines what is important for the Christian. A focus on Christ will be a treasure never taken from the child of God. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.